spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. A chilly start to your Saturday morning. Good morning. 60 degrees here in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. I'm your host, Ashley Frasca. I've got DeMarco with me running the board and producing the show. And we're going to have a great Saturday. It's another Bulldog football weekend as well. The Dogs hosting Kentucky later on today. Kick off at 7 o'clock right here on your Home of the Dogs. And welcome you to call. I would love for you to be a part of the show. 404-872-0750. This is a good time of year for gardeners. A lot going on, a lot to do. And I don't want you to get stressed. And I don't want you to worry. And I don't want you to not know what something is. So we'll take care of that together here on the show. I actually posted something on the Facebook page about a week and a half ago or so. It was a fun little quiz for everybody of things dropping off the trees that you may see, whether it's seed pods or, you know, dried blooms or something. And also just one other thing that grows from the ground, but the rest are from the trees. And did kind of a quiz, like, hey, do you all know what reproductive structures these are and what trees they're from? And that was a fun little quiz. Uh, But the one thing that did not come out of a tree, uh, it was hurricane lilies or surprise lilies. I posted a picture of that and said, do any of you know what this is? And it stumped a lot of people. And then I was really glad to get a listener say, oh, my gosh, I just moved to a new home in Flowery Branch. And I have these in my yard and no one's been able to tell me what they were. So they're known by many different names. Surprise lilies, hurricane lilies, red spider lilies and naked lady lilies. And that name comes from the fact that the stems have no leaves. So it's just a bare stem that just kind of pops up about this time of year, maybe about a month ago, and then a really beautiful, almost spider-like red flower at the top. And that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good that the Facebook page and and the website serve some value for the visual aspect of the show that, you know, not able to do with it being radio. Um, And a lot of events going on this time of year, too. Maybe you're not doing so much gardening. Maybe you're kind of starting to wind some things down. But you love this time of year. You take advantage of the great weather and being around family and and having some things to do. So I put that together on the website, wsbradio.com slash green and growing. And when you go to events, I've got stuff, you know, this is my favorite time of year. So I eat this stuff up. The Pumpkin Festival at Stone Mountain Park. Kegel's Farm, Fall Fun up in Holly Springs, the area where I grew up. Uh, Scarecrows in the Garden at Atlanta Botanical. That'd be fun for the kids. And a beekeeping workshop this weekend. Pumpkin Patch Festival at Oakland Cemetery this weekend. And classes and seminars and workshops, uh, most of which are free, brought to you by extension services in different counties or the Master Gardener volunteers of those extension services in each county. And even 
things like the Chattahoochee Nature Center and the Dunwoody Nature Center oftentimes in Georgia Audubon uh, offer free classes, nature walks, things where you're really able to get in front of some experts and learn a lot of things together. So that's a fun time. 404-872-0750 is the number. And with it being fall and the pumpkin festivals and the pumpkin patches I just mentioned, uh, the Cherokee County Master Gardeners had me do an article for their newsletter. It comes out every couple of months. And a lot of Master Gardener organizations, you do not have to be a Master Gardener to sign up for their publications, their newsletters. Uh, that's really a good way to just get some good ideas. They'll have recipes. They'll have events in your local area as well. But they asked me to do an article on a ways to upcycle a pumpkin. You know, you think of maybe a pumpkin and it's sitting on your doorstep by Christmas and it's still even hanging out in January. It hasn't rotted yet. And if you're like me, you feel kind of guilty uh, throwing it out when it's a perfectly good pumpkin. But, you know, you've moved on to the Christmas decorations and the season's changed a little bit. So I came up with some some good ideas, um, some that I've seen myself, some that were told to me and some that I found with a, a good old Google search, right? You toss the old pumpkin in the compost pile, and then it's a pleasant surprise when the seed sprouts turn into small plants, and they can be transplanted into the garden. But really, pumpkins are best grown in Georgia beginning in midsummer. So that's one of those top three things to do in the landscape uh, this weekend, things that I would have told you uh, back in midsummer to get those pumpkin seeds going. So hopefully if you did that by now, you're starting to see some baby pumpkins. Um, disposing of the rotting pumpkins in wooded areas. You know, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a creek or a wooded area nearby or something, the the woodland creatures are really going to enjoy those pumpkins as they come apart. Um, and the birds too. Blue jays especially eat raw pumpkin seeds and backyard chickens. So if you have a friend that has a backyard chicken, um, all of that comes from Birds in Bloom, which is a great publication for birders like me. Uh, if the pumpkin's still sturdy, you can cut the top half off to where it resembles kind of the shape of a bowl. Fill it with bird seed, free bird feeder. There you go. And they're going to be really happy this time of year. And a DIY planter as well. Um, a lot of nurseries and local groups have classes and workshops where you're able to turn it into uh, a planter cut the insides out, you know, cut a big hole in the top and keep the pot, keep the plastic nursery pot of whatever plant you're putting in the middle there uh, just to keep the inside from rotting. But also you're able to add some other things, you know, the thrillers, spillers and fillers kind of for the different heights and different dimensions of, of a planter. And my friend Julie Garrity, who's been on the show, uh, Hello Daisy Flower Farm, I had a really good picture of some of the crafty work that she did. And I think she does this for customers every time this year, uh, taking the smaller pumpkins, the smaller gourds, the ones that are of different colors, and hot gluing uh, either dried flowers or putting an arrangement of live flowers then in a little vial inside the pumpkin so that they have water. But I've seen her uh, hot glue some of the dried flowers to the top of the pumpkin, and that makes for a really nice centerpiece, a really nice little hostess gift or something if you're coming in and out of, you know, visiting family, football parties, gatherings, whatever. So thinking ahead to fall, my favorite time of year. And this month is really going to be my favorite. I went back for some of the notes that I had for the show this time last year, and I did this very same thing, my Outdoor Expert Series. Um, and I'm starting that. That's going to be every Saturday in October, my Outdoor Expert Series. And I kind of call it that because every Saturday this month, in October, I'm going to have an expert and a guest on the show with me, and I'm really excited to bring you all different perspectives, different organizations, different things to think about, different aspects of gardening. Um, so today, I will be joined later on by Seth Hawkins 
of the Georgia Forestry Commission to share with us the Georgia Leaf Watch. So you remember that if you listened to the show the previous three falls. Um, every Saturday I have the Georgia Forestry Commission on to share with us an update on the leaf color and the leaf change up in North Georgia. The foresters are busy at work in uh, Northeast Georgia and Northwest Georgia taking photographs and then explaining to us where the color's coming from, what trees are changing first, what colors are, are where, and that's really kind of helpful to identify those things if you plan to make a trip up that way and even into North Carolina. And then I'll have uh, Michael and Kate, both from Reforest ATL, a group we talked to Michael Cowan a few weeks back about English ivy, and that kind of spawned a really good conversation between he and I. And he's like, you know, me and my associate Kate would love to come on the show and talk to people about reclaiming... Um, forest areas, you know, and making them natural again, taking uh, that are being taken over by invasive species like English ivy, like kudzu, things that we don't want to incorporate in the landscape. And then joining them is Ellen Honeycutt from the Georgia Native Plant Society. And she's coming along with a fantastic list of some native plants that if you haven't ever seen before, you haven't tried in your own landscape, you're going to want to try. And then next Saturday, of course, Seth will be back with the Georgia Leaf Watch. And then Rick Smith, the pruning guru, uh, happy to have him on in the last hour of the show next Saturday. And then the Saturday following that, October 21st, I'm already putting a lot of work into some interviews that you all will enjoy. I met this 17-year-old woodworker um, at an arts and crafts festival probably late spring. And, you know, you just fire up a conversation with a total stranger. You never know what's going to come of it. So here I am introducing myself to the 17-year-old, super impressed with the woodworking and the products that he's got as a vendor at this arts and crafts festival. And I said, you made all this? And he said, yes, ma'am. And it was charcuterie boards. It was cutting boards. It was bottle openers, coasters, a mantle, like a huge, heavy, you know, 200-pound timber beam um, that was repurposed and refinished. And and he was trying to sell it as, as a mantle for someone So I'll be introducing you to Lachlan, and I'm just so impressed seeing young people that are really getting into nature and understanding, you know, his his understanding of trees and his appreciation appreciation for the wood that he's using and all of that, plus um, a really neat history of apples kind of project that uh, has been in the rumblings for a number of years and uh, associated with the University of Georgia a little bit in some of the work that our friend Becky Griffin up at the Research Mountain and Education Center campus up at Blairsville does, and Josh Fooder, who's a county extension agent for the county where I live, Cherokee County, uh, a passion for kind of re reclaiming old apple varieties that maybe our ancestors enjoyed 100, 200 years ago on farms and in local markets, and then those varieties have just kind of gone by the wayside. So I'm going to bring you a really interesting interview and an author who has traveled the southeast, really picking back up on the history of apples. That's going to be a fun one. And then at the very end of the month, save the best for last, October 28th, Clint Waltz. Y'all love when UGA's turf grass specialist and Dr. Waltz comes on the show and can help you with your lawns. And when we come back, I do want to give you some advice about things to be doing right now as it pertains to fescue lawns and what you need to get working on, plus the top three things you should be doing this weekend. If you're not out enjoying the weather, you have to put in a little bit of work. These things are pretty easy, I guarantee it. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. The update on your weather, how to plan your weekend, brought to you by Channel 2 Chief Meteorologist Brad Nitz, who is in this weekend for Christina Edwards. Right now, it is cool. It's even a little breezy, 58 degrees outside for some of us. Uh, Sunny, windy, and cooling down, as Christina Edwards was saying all week. Flannel weather. And guess what, DeMarco, what am I wearing right now? I'm wearing my red. Oh, flannel. And what color? It's like the... um 
It's red. Don't it's you like, get Don't you get that school wrong? I don't want to say well, Okay, bulldog's color. Okay, okay. That's what you were trying to get me to say, right? Don't you get that school wrong? Don't you start describing that I have Georgia Tech colors on or something like that? No, and no blue cuz it's Kentucky. We're playing Kentucky. No blue. But yeah, it's flannel weather for sure. So mostly sunny, windy and cool wind gusts throughout the afternoon, 15 to 30 miles an hour, high of 68. And then sunny skies tomorrow and Monday with highs in the upper 60s and low 70s. And the complete forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. But with that weather update, I do want to remind you that uh, no rain in the forecast for the next few days. So you have to keep on top of watering uh, a new lawn. You know, if you have put down fescue sod or perhaps you're overseeding fescue, maybe that happened for you in September. Maybe it happened for you, I don't know, yesterday like mine did. Once that process starts with that seed germinating, it gets wet and then initiates moisture in the seed and the seed starts to open and germinate. You can't stop watering. So you really have to pay attention to the forecast, at least for the next four to five weeks after you've overseeded fescue and really make sure you keep up with consistent moisture. And I can't say it enough that when you're watering a lawn or newly established trees and perennials and shrubs, watering more deeply less often is more beneficial. So if you can run that sprinkler for, I don't know, two, three hours, I know you have to keep maybe moving it around or you have some irrigation, you know, heads that can take care of that for you. But deeper, less frequent waterings really help the roots establish on these things rather than just, oh, going out there and just barely getting the ground wet and you're doing that every day. That's really not as beneficial at all. So that's kind of a key thing to helping uh, grass really establish roots, whether it is sod or whether it's seed. And also so crucial to the establishment of trees and shrubs because they only get one shot. They get one shot at establishing a good root system. And that's done in the very, very beginning. And in evergreens, too, if any landscaper or anyone has ever installed evergreens for you, they'll tell you that. Um, That'll affect the overall health of the plant for life, Uh, what watering it receives in the first few months of establishment. So just keep that in mind. And now this. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Well, that was a big old number one, so we'll, we'll go with some smaller ones. Uh, number one on this list, Sasanqua camellias are blooming now, and they look great. We were out of town last week for vacation, came back to the house, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday, and boy, my camellia at the end of the driveway is really showing off. So I love Sasanqua camellias right now. Japonica, we're going to wait a little bit longer. That variety, they bloom later, um, some in January, some more toward the end of February. But Sasanqua is what you're looking at right now. Plant them in your landscape. Now is a good time to do it. Not necessarily to fertilize them at this point, but if you do, use something with no nitrogen. So when you're looking at those three numbers on a fertilizer pack, uh, the first number is going to be zero. We don't want to encourage new growth on anything really right now except grass uh, because it makes it vulnerable to the first frost and the first freeze coming up. Any tender new growth just does not have time to harden off by the time we have that chance. Number two, aerate and overseed fescue lawns. Oh, that is on the list. Look at that. Uh, Water days before to soften up the ground. That's going to make aeration a lot easier. And aeration is really important, getting those plugs and those holes in the ground for good seed-to-soil contact and for the seed to fall down in. So that'll make it easier if you're renting an aerator or having someone do it, getting that uh, ground soft for that. And number three, warm-season lawns don't need mowing for much longer. And before you store that mower, you got to clean the blade clean the undercarriage really well with the hose check the oil and the air filter change if needed and empty the gas tank before storing it if you've got those warm season lawns 404-872-0750 give me a call we'll be right back 
Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Here we are, 6.36 on a Saturday morning, and happy to hear from you, 404-872-0750, with any comments you've got. Anything you're doing in the garden this time of year, just why you love this time of year, happy to hear those reasons for sure. Um, And any questions, anything I can help you with in the landscape. And if you have questions about invasive plants, what to do, how to get rid of them, and even you're curious about native plants, uh, what is native to Georgia? I mean, define that, you know, and then if you're interested in keeping native plants in your landscape, you're really going to have a good time calling after 7.30 this morning as I have guests, uh, Michael and Kate from Reforest ATL, talking about invasive species and, you know, not to plant them. If you have them, how to get rid of them, just reclaiming that natural area away from something that's overtaken it. And then Ellen Honeycutt from the Georgia Native Plant Society really kind of opening our eyes as to what plants and flowers and things that maybe you didn't even know they were native, but they are and why that's really a good thing for biodiversity and, you know, just the the ecosystem and your yards and all of that kind of thing. So certainly you're welcome to call then. Something I've noticed uh, this time of year, maybe just since we've been home uh, Wednesday, perhaps, the acorns have been absolutely insane. And some people are like, oh, yeah, you know, the ones falling out of my oak trees aren't as bad as last year. And then some are like, wow, this year's been really, really bad. But with all the acorns dropping in my yard, on my roof, and even hitting poor Shadow on the head when she goes outside, she doesn't understand when she's on the front walk and gets clunked in the head with an acorn. She she doesn't know to look up. She's like, where did that come from? So now she's afraid to go outside. Um, But I'm really wondering, like, why all these acorns falling? And old wives' tales... Um, things from the Farmer's Almanac, you know, which some people swear by. Some people say, yeah, that's just myths, but it's cute. Maybe it can give you guidance for some gardening. Um, The acorns falling, that's not really an accurate predictor of a severe winter. Maybe many of us Southerners have grown up thinking that, like, "Uh uh-oh, the acorns are really falling. We're in for a hard winter. No, not necessarily. Uh, Boom times called mast years with acorns occur about every two to five years and smaller acorn crops in between. But right now, they're not even green. They're brown. They're ready to fall. The squirrels are having a blast. Um, The cycles aren't fully understood. I mean, any of the research that I tried to look up on this for you, when you go online and you go to Google and things like that, look up, when you're looking at the links for all of the articles that pop up on something that you're curious about, look for the links that are from Extension or from a university, and they end in .edu, a website that ends in .edu. That's going to be where you get the most accurate information, not always from a garden blog. Uh, There's a lot of things from the UK that show up when we do Google searches about gardening here, and that's fine. That's great. Like the Royal Horticultural Society, awesome. RHS is a really good, valuable resource. But Again, with differences in climates and seasons and things like that from time to time, uh, best to follow university and academic publications on these things. But, you know, not really fully understood as to why we have mast years. Um, It can have everything to do with the tree's biology and environmental conditions as well, whether it was a a wet summer, a dry summer, all of those things are going to be kind of impactful to oaks. But Joe Lample, Joe Gardner, who you've heard here on the show, recently uh, posted a podcast that I'm really anxious to listen to. Haven't had time yet, but he interviewed Doug Tallamy. And Doug Tallamy writes so many wonderful things about native plants and ecosystems and 
uh, how all of us kind of interact with the animals and the birds and all of that. So I'm really anxious to hear his conversation about oaks, the most native or most essential native tree and why oaks are so important. There's so many varieties of oak trees. So you can hop over to my Facebook page. Um, If you search Facebook Green and Growing WSB, you can find the link to Joe Gardner's podcast there. And thinking about the squirrels too, like, yeah, they're active, whether it's the acorns falling out of the tree themselves or whether the squirrels are just sitting up there laughing at us, pelting us uh, with acorns. Nesting season's kind of over for them. They're most active kind of an early summer, uh, June or July, they're building nests, and then in the winter sometimes as well. So not so much nesting, but I know they're building up a surplus of those acorns to make sure that they stay fed and happy throughout the winter, and it's just going to be a matter of time. A lot of you already have the deer, uh, but the deer are going to be doing the same thing. You know, they need to bed down for the winter, and rut's coming up as well, so they're going to be out in full force as well. 404-872-0750 is the number, and that's exactly what Jesse dialed to get in. Call him from Conyers. Hey there. Good morning. Good morning. What's going on with you? you talk, oh, I'm talk about deer. I, I feed the deer every morning. I've got five out here in the backyard. I feed corn every morning. Now, so does that keep them away from your plants? No. Okay. <laughs> so they get the corn and the plants. <laughs> Correct. Okay. We have so many deer in this area anyway. I just go ahead and feed them and enjoy watching them, and then we suffer the rest. You know, hey, look, Chris, look what this one's eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they never cease to amaze us. You think they you've you've got it down their menu and their dietary restrictions down, and then they'll eat something. You're like, oh, I didn't think they'd eat that. Or in years past, they've never touched that, and all of a sudden, bam! Oh, they've gone they've gone through our azaleas. Oh no! I mean, we have seriously about three hundred on the property. And uh, they wiped out probably over uh, about a half. I just wouldn't think they azaleas would taste leaves. good. They going through them. Huh. Weird, yeah, it is. <laughs> but anyway, you mentioned a plant earlier, and I've, uh, a lily, hurricane lily. We we call it a magic lily because they just pop up for no reason. Right. Now, my question, this was planted 39, 40 years ago by grandmother. We don't know, is it? A seed, a bulb, or what? I've marked the area, so I don't know one day to dig them up or what. How do you um, it's a, them? It's a bulb, and it's surprising. Oh, the longer the bulb's been in the ground, each bulb can produce maybe one to four flower stems. So sometimes that's why it seems that they're growing in clumps. You know, three stems can be oh, coming yeah. off of one bulb. So it is pretty neat to, to transplant them, too, and kind of give them a little more purpose because, yeah, otherwise they'll just kind of grow haphazardly and, you know, maybe don't fit the design of the landscape. But I kind of like when they just, like you said, they pop up randomly. It's a surprise. It's magic. So, yeah, transplanting them by bulb. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, just do that like any other bulb? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. um, And late summer, early fall is exactly the the best time to transplant those and to install new ones if folks are looking to to go out to the garden centers or look for hurricane lilies or, or magic lilies or whatever now is the time to do that um in a sunny or lightly shaded spot and of course the soil's got to stay a little bit moist it can't be super super dry but generally too jesse you know when we're talking about bulbs like daffodils and irises and stuff usually those things you wait till the foliage starts to to die back a little bit you know you leave the leaves on there as long as you can because that's how it's getting energy back from the sun and putting energy back into the bulb and i always tell people once the the leaves start to yellow then that's a good time to go and transplant it but since these don't have leaves 
you know, just once you are done right. enjoying the flower, it's a good time to dig it up and transplant it. Oh, okay. Good deal. Yep. Thank you a lot. Have a good day. You too. I always enjoy hearing from you and your thoughtful questions. And I had forgotten until you just said how many azaleas you have on the property. That's right. That is crazy, but I bet it's beautiful. And a lot of the things too, the damage the deer are doing now, you know, plants are amazing. Plants are resilient. They're like kids. They'll get injured. They'll have something happen to them. And they bounce back. And even knockouts, too. Uh, knockout roses, like, again, doesn't sound like something I would want to eat. Uh, but, you know, it works for the deer. Uh, and speaking of roses, too, I recently had a good question uh, brought to me by Linda and said, you know, I had to severely cut back my climbing rose to get ready for the painters. Now I see new growth coming on, but uh-oh, what should I do? Will it freeze and die? Um, and sometimes those things are unavoidable. You know, like you have to cut stuff back. Maybe it's the wrong time of year. Or you have to move stuff like Jesse has been for, for a long time. You know, if you're moving or something and it just so happens, it can be in the heat of summer. But if you have to move something or cut it back, you have to do it. Uh, so I told Linda, you know, of course, there's a chance that some of that new growth could harden off by the first freeze. Uh, but since you don't really know when that's going to be, you can plan to protect it. Protect all that tender new growth for the first few freezes, uh, be it with a sheet, a bucket, cardboard box. However, folks tend to to cover things. And one of the best websites, again, if we really want to get, you know, deep in, in the, the mire and the muck of knowing when that, that first freeze is going to be and dew point and all of that, if that's important to what you're doing, georgiaweather.net is a great website and a great resource for a lot of us from the College of Ag uh, at UGA, georgiaweather.net. And it's so cool. Right across the top when you go to calendar, I mean, you can determine the soil temperature, and sometimes that's really important. Not the, the ambient temperature and the air, but the soil temperature is important for really your cue as to when to seed for grasses, when to do other things, especially if you're doing orchards. Um, soil temperature is important for the trees and installation there. If you're just wondering how much rainfall we've gotten, hadn't been a lot recently, I can tell you that. Uh, first frost, last frost, all of that when you're planting your vegetable gardens all of that under the calculator tab uh, at georgiaweather.net. And that's just really, really interesting. So once you want to look into one of those things, say, you know, whatever the first frost date is, you're going to have to choose like a weather station that's closest to where you live. Um, and there may not be one super, super close, but you want to at least find something. So, for example, Kennesaw is close to me, and that's probably the closest weather station. So generally the first frost date uh, here in recent memory, just looking at these dates back to 2018, on average, we're looking at maybe the second week in November. It was early last year. The first frost date for the Kennesaw area in parts of northwest Georgia was October 20th. So that is really early. We just, or Octo yeah, what did I say? October 20th. Yeah, but generally second week in November is when we're looking at that first frost for some folks across metro Atlanta. Of course, the further north you go, that's going to change. But good resource there. Again, georgiaweather.net. 404-872-0750 is the number to get in the show when we come back. The top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. It's Ashley Frasca. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, it's going to be a beautiful day, but wind gusts may be up to 30 miles an hour. It's going to be mostly sunny, a high of 68, and I'm headed to Athens for that uh, game this evening, that big game in Sanford Stadium. So it's good to know that it's going to be warm, but once the sun starts to go down, the lows could dip down to the high 40s. And then sunny skies for Sunday and Monday with highs in the upper 60s. 
to low 70s. The complete forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. And also the Georgia Forestry Commission put out something really interesting last night that uh, meteorologist Christina Edwards drew my attention to. Fire risk is rising rapidly with the onset of a cold front. Uh, GFC has issued a high fire danger alert for this weekend with a cold front approaching the state will bring winds uh, with a cold front approaching the state. Uh, that'll bring winds up to 25, 30 miles an hour, causing humidity levels to drop and vegetation to dry out quickly. So those conditions will cause fires to burn rapidly. So keep that in mind. If you're tailgating or camping or doing something, please be very responsible as you do it. I enjoyed my conversation a few weeks back with uh, Johnny Sabo, who's the deputy director for the Georgia Forestry Commission. And we talked a little bit about just responsibility, uh, being responsible as you're up enjoying the North Georgia mountains or just out and about hiking, doing more things outside, uh, being responsible because the wildfires in Hawaii and Maui that were so devastating, of course, that could happen here. Um, we we have a good plan in place to prevent some of that. But just so you know, that risk is this weekend for sure. Green, Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right. You'll hear me say it for the next couple of weeks, maybe. Warm season lawns. They don't need mowing much longer. Of course, as you know, when they go dormant, you're off the hook. Uh, But before you store that mower for the winter, clean the blade, clean the undercarriage, check the oil and the air filter and change if needed, and empty the gas tank before storing. Um, I'm not really good about that, but I'm going to be better Just go mow some grass or just go mow something down until it runs out of gasoline. Number two, aerate and overseed fescue lawns. Water days before you plan to do that to soften up the ground so it can really get the good plugs and the good aeration that it needs for seed to soil contact. And once you initiate watering, you can't stop because those seeds that germinate, uh, they're going to continue to grow and they can't really run the risk of getting dried out as they're, you know, one week old, two weeks old. And you'll hear me say a lot, too, the longer, deeper, less frequent waterings are more beneficial because that helps establish deeper roots because the water is going deeper into the soil rather than you just running the sprinkler for 20, 30 minutes and then moving it. And, you know, you're just barely getting the ground wet, but not a good saturation. And number three, Sasanqua camellias are blooming right now and they look great. Plant some in your landscape now. It's a great time to install trees and shrubs and, and will be for the next month or more. Um, and this, these are evergreen, you know, whether it's the Japonica variety, whether it's the Sanqua f- variety, they're evergreen. So if you need something for screening and you want it to have the advantage of, of flowering, camellias are a great consideration. Not necessary to fertilize, though. That comes from the Georgia Camellia Society, um, you know, just reminding you, like, they're doing their own thing. They have enough energy. They're showing you the blooms right now. If you do, for whatever reason, feel it necessary to fertilize, you got to use something with no nitrogen. So that first number is going to be zero. We don't want a whole lot of brand new growth coming on, whether it's from pruning or whether it's from fertilizing. That new growth could be susceptible uh, to a freeze. So there you go. 404 And you may be seeing things flowering this time of year that you're not used to, especially in the spring. That's what this was more for. But nonetheless, it's on my Facebook page, the Highway Horticulture Photo Album. So if you go on Facebook and type in Green and Growing WSB, like or follow the page, and you go to Photos, and then you take a look at the albums, really find that one that's Highway Horticulture. And that's uh, a a task that Walter Reeves had me start six, seven, eight years ago. I was asking a lot of questions, working his show, Uh, trying to learn a lot. And he says, you know, go out and snap pictures of things you see, bring them back when we get together on a Saturday morning and I'll help you identify them. So a lot of these photographs I took years ago, um, but they're 
probably pretty helpful. If you're seeing something and you're not quite sure what it is in the landscape, I bet you I've got it in this album for sure. Uh, One of the ones, too, that you might be seeing flowering now that's really exciting. Not a lot of folks are aware of what it is. Confederate Rose. They get really big, tall, tall stems, like a big shrub and big pointed leaves, uh, often confused with a hydrangea because it has big puffy flowers and the bushes in the hibiscus family. But the striking thing about it this time of year, you see pink and white flowers on the same bush. That is a Confederate rose. So see, that's just one of the things you'll learn from checking out the Highway Horticulture Facebook photo album. 404-872-0750. We'll be right back. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.